0: taking a look at how God has raised up this man, uh, certainly an imperfect man. He had sin in his life. He failed God many times. And yet God calls him a man after his own heart. He uses him in great ways despite his failures and his flaws because, guys, anything we do from God is ultimately not about us. It's not going to be done in our own strength. We have got to lean and depend on Him. And God will take imperfect vessels and use us to accomplish His glory. And we're seeing that through the life of David. So I want to look today in 1 Samuel 21, I'm going to just talk about the chapter, but I'm only going to look at verses 10 through 15 before we go into Psalm 34. And I've titled this message today, From Broken to Blessed. From Broken to Blessed. If you've been with us or if you've been reading through 1 Samuel, you know that for the last few years of David's life, it has been terribly uncomfortable and not at all easy for him. Remember, he won this victory over Goliath. And people are cheering him, and he becomes an overnight sensation in Israel. And everybody is talking about David. He is the man of the hour, but that doesn't last very long. Because Saul becomes angry. Saul is the king, and he's angry, and he's jealous. He's trying to kill David. David is trying to keep his composure. He's trying to love and honor Saul, even through the midst of things. uh, David's wife betrays him he has a good friend who is Saul's son who ultimately he has to leave because his uh, David's life is in danger so David has lost in just a short time his position in the kingdom he's lost his wife he's lost his friend and pretty much is alone at this point point. and as we've read through this I've told you to take note of how many times it says David fled or David is fleeing it seems like the last few years of his life he has just spent constantly running from place to place. And I think if we're honest, don't you feel like that in life sometimes? That you just feel like you're running here and there and everywhere, that life is so hectic and so busy and perhaps so confusing that you don't know whether you're coming or you're going. And most of all, when you're busy and frantic, it's hard to see God. It's hard to hear God in those moments. And yet we're going to see in David's life and in ours too, that even in the midst of all the turmoil and all the chaos and all the uncertainty, God is with him, and God is going to bring him out of these broken situations and cause him to be blessed. So the story in in, uh, 1 Samuel 21 is, is David is still running, and he's going from place to place. And David has been pretty strong in his faith thus far, I would say. Overall, he has been a pretty solid example of a man of faith. But all of us reach a point in our lives where we have breaking points, if we're honest. There's going to be seasons where our faith seems really strong, and other times in our life where our faith seems nonexistent. That's going to be true of anybody, even the greatest of Christians. And this happens to David in chapter 21. He's going along, he's uncertain, he's fearful, he's alone for the most part. And he comes to Ahimelech the priest, and he begins to fabricate stories to try to provide for himself. He's in need of food, he's hungry, I'm sure he's tired, he has no weapons, and so he's trying to figure out ways to be provided for. And so, at this point in his life, he says, well, maybe I'm just going to have to lie my way through this one, right? So rather than depending on God, he makes up these stories. Uh, Real quick, just look at 1 Samuel 21, verse 1. David comes to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech is afraid when he met David and said to him, why are you alone and no one is with you? Verse 2, David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business. No, he didn't. The king's trying to kill him, and he's running. But he said, all the king sent me on some business. And he said to them, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you, or what I have commanded you. I have directed my young men to such and such a place. And, and on goes the story, where he continues to make up these things just to get what he needs, rather than operating in faith. But, From this situation, he gets some food, he gets a weapon, which ironically happens to be the sword that was Goliath's. So all these years later, after he has won this victory over Goliath, now he is in this place alone, frightened, discouraged, begging for help, and the only weapon he can get is the sword of the guy that he killed earlier that gave him temporarily uh, all these blessings, at least externally, through Israel. So I thought that was kind of ironic to see. But as we go on, here's what I want you to focus on this morning. Is verses 10 through 15 of 1 Samuel 21. Because when we get into Psalm 34, you're going to see that Psalm 34 is written by David because of what we're going to read in 1 Samuel 21 verses 10 through 15. So this story is... What brings about Psalm 34 and also Psalm 56, which we won't look at today, but both of those Psalms are written based on this event. So saying all that, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me one more time this morning, make sure you're still awake, and also to stretch your legs and honor God's Word most of all together as we read. So we're going to read verses 10 through 15 from 1 Samuel 21, and then we'll pray uh, before we get into the, the, the message this morning. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul, and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another and dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David took these words to his heart and was very much afraid of achish the king of gath this man who was not afraid of goliath of gath a few years ago is now scared to death standing before the king of the same land verse 13 so he listen to what david does again fear will make you do some crazy things it really will so he changed his behavior or his countenance before them and he pretended madness in their hands He scratched on the, picture this in your mind, he scratched on the doors of the gate and he let saliva run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, look, you see the man is insane, why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Father, help us today to have understanding, to see your word and the lesson that you have for us today, and God, help us to apply it to our hearts and our lives so that we can grow closer to you, and most of all, to be helped in our time of need. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. May you increase and I decrease, and we'll give you all the praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I remember when I was a, a young kid, we lived in the townhouses, if you're familiar with the west side of Hamilton, we lived in the townhouses at the foot of Eaton Road Hill, And back then, there was only a few of those. Most of them hadn't been completely built yet. And that field was open, uh, and there was just lots of mounds of dirt and things where the builders would just push and leave sand and dirt and different things. And for kids, that was great, because we got to go over there and play when kids used to come outside and actually do things outdoors. I would go outside, me and my buddies, and we would play, you know, King of the Mountain on the hills and do all kinds of stuff like that. But I remember one time, we all had these little... He-man figurines, GI Joe, the little plastic figurines, and I had to go somewhere, and so rather than collecting all my stuff up, I just left them there with my friends and said, "I'll be back later. You guys can play with these." Well, when we got back later on, I ran over into the field. Nobody was over there then, and I saw all of those possessions that, at the time, for a kid, were very valuable. Man, that's all you have as a kid is your toys, right? And they were all smashed. I mean, completely destroyed, they had taken rocks and just smashed them to a million pieces. And obviously, you're devastated as a kid, you know. You pick up the pieces and go and tell your mom and dad, and she's trying to console me. And there's a knock on the door, and it's one of my friends with his dad. And he's got a big box. And he said, my son is here to give you all of his toys for what he's done to yours. And you know, in the time, you don't understand that as a kid. You're hurt, you're mad, and mom and him's talking back and forth. And even though he's trying to bring something back to make me feel better, it didn't make me feel better. Because all I could do in the moment was hold on to all the broken pieces that I had that were mine and all the anger and the bitterness that I was feeling for what they had done, these people that were supposed to have been my friends, turn around and do that. I held on to those things and I couldn't let them go. I couldn't receive the forgiveness or give the forgiveness that I needed to offer and I couldn't accept a gift because my hands were full of anger and bitterness. And I think that's a good illustration for what we do in our lives still today. I found this little poem that someone wrote. It says, As children bring their broken toys with tears for us to mend, I brought my broken dreams to God because He was my friend. But then instead of leaving Him in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. At last I snatched them back and cried, How can you be so slow? My child, he said, what could I do? You never did let go. How often do we hold on to things that we need to let go to ever receive the healing that we need? David is on the run, as we've said. By 1 Samuel 21, he's been on the run. He's troubled. He's alone. All these thoughts, I'm sure, going through his mind. Did any of you ever watch when you were young, or maybe you still do if you have grandkids, Winnie the Pooh? Anybody Winnie the Pooh fans? Yes, me and Irma are. George. One of the characters in, in, in Winnie the Pooh that I always liked was Eeyore. Eeyore was one of my favorite characters. But Eeyore always walked around habitually sad, didn't he? He's always gloomy. There's always this gray cloud over his head, it seems like. One of the things that Eeyore said in, several times in the shows is he said, I never get my hopes up, so I never get let down. That's a sad way to live life. You never take your eyes up off looking down because you're afraid to look up. You can't have any hope in your life because you're afraid of getting hurt. You're holding on so much to the past, so much to things that have been difficult, that you can't lift your eyes up and believe that there's something good waiting for you around the corner. And I believe that we all get to those places. I'm not here today to to ostracize you or to beat you up if that's where you're at or that's where you've been. I want to try to offer you some hope today. That there are better days ahead. That God is not finished in your life. David is being pursued by Saul. Not only is David running, there's people running after him. All the time. And David just keeps running, and he keeps running, and he keeps running. But here's something I've learned as I've gotten a little bit older. And and maybe you've learned it, or maybe you're going to learn it one way or another. You can't outrun trouble. You cannot outrun trouble. And I'll tell you this, David tried to fix his problems by doing wrong. He said, I'm in a mess, so maybe I need to lie. Maybe I need to manipulate. Maybe I need to pretend and coerce to get things fixed. Not only can you not run from trouble, but you can't fix trouble with trouble. Because you know what you get? Double trouble. That's what happens. That's all that happens when you try to run from trouble, when you try to fix trouble in your own strength. He's trying to lie his way out of circumstances. He's trying to react to things as they come. And as I said, we get to verses 10 through 15, and I read this story to you. And then in the very next chapter, in the very first verse, it says David leaves there, and he goes into a cave in a place called Adulam. And it's in the cave, in the darkness, all alone, for the most part, that God begins to work on his heart. Sometimes we just have to get alone with God. Or sometimes God has to bring us to a place where he's all that there is left for us to begin to have a different outlook on things. So I want to try to give you, from Psalm 34, I want to try to give you four things that David learned in all of his brokenness, that changed his attitude because when you read this psalm, we just read the story in 1st Samuel, but then when you read Psalm 34, you're going to say, "Man, this this sounds like a whole different guy. This doesn't even sound like the same guy." A lot of times one of the things about reading if if we took this, if we took the Psalms and we took the life of David and we gave it to most psychiatrists today, they would put him on medicine and say he's bipolar. And I, again, please, you know I'm an advocate for mental health. You know that I have nothing bad to say about getting professional help and getting on medication for mental illness if you need it. So please don't take that the wrong way. I'm not saying that every time we get diagnosed by those things that that's necessarily neces- needful or the case. But there's certainly a time and a place for them. But I believe if you look at David's life, a lot of times you'd conclude that, man, this guy is crazy. He's bipolar because he's up and down, up and down, up and down. But I don't think that's so abnormal, if we're honest. You know, hopefully you're up more than you're down. But I've never met a person yet that's habitually up all the time. And, you know, hopefully you're not habitually down all the time. Right? And so I want you to look at this psalm with me. And I want us to to make some, I want to try to make some points to you this morning. So if you take notes, write these down. Verse. i I'm going to break it up into sections rather than just simply going verse by verse. Verses 1 through 3, I want you to see this. When problems come down, let praises go up. When problems come down, let praises go up. Look at what David does. And there's three things I'll, I'll, sub-points I'll bring out of this section here. Verse number 1, you say this, there is a triumph when we praise God. There is a triumph when we praise God. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Here's the thing. When we look at David's life and what was going on, and we look at our own life, and and we say something like, when problems come down, praises go up, you say, okay, pastor, that sounds good, but how on earth do we do that? Like, when you don't feel it, when you're discouraged, when you're struggling, it's easy to say, well, let's praise God anyway. But how do we actually do that? How does that happen? I'm going to give you the answer And it it may not be earth-shattering. It may not be what you want to hear. But this is the truth that I believe the Bible teaches and what you've got to learn. Praise is simply a decision. It's a decision. It has got to be something that you intentionally do whether you feel like it or not. You can't wait to praise God when things are going good. You have got to praise God even when things aren't going good because it's an intentional decision. David said, I will bless the Lord when... At all times, he didn't just say when things are good, when I'm slaying the Goliath and people are cheering me on and glad about who I am. He's saying, I'm right here in this cave alone, betrayed, forsaken, struggling, and I'm going to praise God. Because I'm tired of living the way I've been living. I have got to get hope in my life again. And the only way that's going to come is to focus my life and my heart on God despite my circumstances and praise God. I'm going to quote to you, I don't use this translation very often, but as I read this psalm, for whatever reason, the message translation had some great paraphrasing, if you will, of how these verses come. So listen to verse 1 from the message translation. It says there, I bless God every chance I get. My lungs expand with His praise. Isn't that a good way to put it? My lungs expand with His praise. Think about that. What He's saying there, take a breath in, out. In, out. God is giving you breath. He's giving you life. That alone is a reason. You say, I don't know if I have anything to praise God about in my life. It's so bad right now, Pastor. I can't think of anything to praise God for. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. There you go. Praise Him that you have life. You say, I don't know if my life is worth living. We heard a testimony just this morning in Sunday school of somebody that had gotten to a point in their life where things were so bad. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you know people. We've had people in our family, unfortunately, that have said, things are so bad, I would rather not live anymore. I'd rather end my life than go another day, another moment, the way that things are. The enemy has convinced you that your life is meaningless, that you are worthless, and that there is no hope, no better days ahead for you. And I want to tell you that that is a lie from the pit of hell. It just is. I'm not saying that your struggles right now are not difficult. But the Word of God declares that you are made in the image of God, that you are valuable, that you have purpose, that you have meaning, and that God is not done with you yet. But you've got to ask yourself, can I praise Him? Can I find one thing One thing today. I'm not asking you to write a big long list. At some point I think you should. But I'm asking you today to find one thing. In the midst of all your difficulties. Find one thing. And praise Him today. And you will begin to see small glimpses of light. And hope and victory come into your life. Because there is a triumph when we praise. Number two. There is a testimony. That comes out of our praise. Verse two says. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it, and they will be glad. Listen, not only do we need praise, other people need your praise. Praise is not just for you and God. That's where it starts. But your praise is necessary for others. Because praise is contagious. That's why sometimes I try to urge you on a little bit to be excited about God. Because... Sometimes it just takes a Miss Rosie to get happy, to get the rest of you happy. You see? Because praise is caught sometimes. It's caught from one another. The New Living Translation puts verse 2 this way. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. When you're down and discouraged, I've heard some people say before, when I come into church, just a hug from somebody changed my day. Just a smile from somebody changed my day. It doesn't have to be some earth-shattering thing, guys. It can be just the smallest act of kindness that can turn someone's day around. But when you praise, it will be a testimony that will help others. William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, said, said, used to say this, If a church gets on fire for God, people will come for miles to watch it burn. If, Phyllis, you've probably heard that quote before. If we get on fire for God, if we live for God, if we're different from the world and they start to see and hear that things are different at K. Russo Baptist Church, I'm telling you that God will draw people to that. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen over and over again. But if we're no different than anybody else, don't be surprised if we don't see anything different happen. There is a testimony when we praise. And number three, there is a transmission of our praise what do you mean pastor look at verse 3 oh magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together again the message translation I love how it puts this verse it says there verse 3 join me in spreading the news together let's get the word out we're called by Jesus to go to the world and make disciples aren't we the Great Commission of Matthew 28 tells us to do that. Mark 16:15, Go and preach the gospel to all creation. That's the mandate for all of us to do. And when we do that, our praise is transmitted to others. It goes out beyond these walls. We not, may not be able to get people to come here every Sunday, but they can't stop us from going to them. And that's what we need to do. When you go to work on Monday, when you go to school... Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Don't say, man, if you came to our church sometime, you would hear about Jesus and get to sing songs about Jesus and find people that would love you and care for you. Take it to them. Take it to them. Don't wait to get them here because if they get Jesus out there, they'll want to come here or somewhere that preaches the Word of God. Christians ought to want to go to church. They ought to want to gather together. They all want to be a part of a community of believers. That's a blessing. It's an honor to get to do that. I want you to look at Acts 2, verses 46 and 47. The the early church after the day of Pentecost. And it says, so they continued daily in one accord. And look at verse 47. Go on down to verse 47 on that. Praising God... And having favor with all the people. As they met together, as they gathered, there was a community of praise. And all of the people were starting to see that, and it was affecting them. There is a transmission of our praise. When our problems come into our life, guys, we have got to make an intentional decision to praise God anyway. We have got to say, no matter what's going on in my life, I'm going to find something today to rejoice in and be thankful about. David, in the midst of his circumstances, in that cave, said, I'm going to praise God even though things aren't looking good right now on the outside. I'm going to have joy in my heart. I'm going to seek God and I'm going to praise God until I have a change of heart in my life. Number two, look at verses 4-7. through David learned something else. He learned this. When fear knocks let faith answer the door. When fear knocks, let faith answer the door. Listen to what he said in verse 4. I sought the Lord, and what? Boy, isn't that good? When you seek the Lord, He hears, He answers. And not only that, He delivered me from what? From all my fears. He delivered Him from fear. Number one, in this section, I want you to see this. God wants His people to desire Him. So often we come around and we say, well, I've heard people say this in prayer time or after prayer time. I was going to ask for prayer, but I didn't want to bother God with my little thing. I heard everybody else's big problems, and I didn't want to bother Him. As though God gets too busy for you. As though God's overwhelmed and said, my goodness, I've already got the front and back page here filled up, and now you're coming because your toe hurts. I don't want to hear that. God wants to hear from His people. God wants to be sought by you. He wants to answer His people. He knows what's going on in your life. But He wants you as a step of faith to seek Him. None of us seek Him for salvation. He seeks us. But once we enter into that relationship with Him, what a blessing it is to have access to God, to the privilege to approach the throne of grace boldly in our time of need. Why do we forsake that? I love that old hymn. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry... Everything to God in prayer. He wants to be sought by His people. There's a quote by a lady by the name of Elizabeth Elliot. I think some of the ladies have that devotional that she puts out. But Elizabeth Elliot said this, Fear arises when we imagine that everything depends on us. Think about that. Fear arises when we imagine that everything depends on us. A lot of us like to be in control, don't we? And it scares us to death when we're not in control. But you'll find most of your life you're not in control. You control how you respond. But most of the time things happen in life that are outside of our control. But I'm glad this morning to know that nothing happens outside of God's control. And if I'm going to rest in something, I'm going to rest in that today. I'm going to seek Him. I may not understand why it's happening. I may not understand where in the world we're going. But I know that He does and I'm going to not allow my fear to overwhelm me. But here's the thing, guys, and I think a lot of Christians get this wrong. I think a lot of Christians believe as long as there's any fear in my life, I don't have faith. Or until I completely rid my life of fear, I'm not operating in God's will. I've never met the person yet that doesn't have fear in some place of their life. I believe with 100% certainty that faith and fear will always exist simultaneously in the life of people. But I believe only one can be in control. You can be scared to death and still step out in in faith. If you're waiting to say well I'm completely fearless now. Now I can do this thing. You're probably not going to do a lot for God. Because there's always going to be that, that tingling of fear in your life. But you've got to step over the fear and operate in faith. And to do that, God wants us to want Him. He wants us to desire Him. Number two, He also wants us to delight in Him. He wants us to desire Him and He wants us to delight in Him. Look at verse 5. They looked to Him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. Listen to how the New Living Translation puts that verse. It says, Those who look to Him for help, will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. They will be radiant with joy. I thought about that verse. How many times does shame rob us of joy? We are so ashamed of things in our life. We're so ashamed of people in our life that we feel guilty to worship God. We feel guilty sometimes to even pray God. We feel guilty sometimes to even smile because we feel so dirty and so unclean and so worthless that we have lost, or rather, we have given up the joy that used to be in our life. Now, now, trust me, if you're living an open sin against God, you're not going to have joy. But you can do something about that because Jesus already has done something about it. It's just the fact of you confessing your need, seeking God, desiring Him, and getting what you need from Him. Remember, He said if you ask, He hears, and He delivers. But most people just ain't asking. And they're not believing. They're letting fear hold them back. They're letting shame hold them back. God wants to deliver you from these things, which is the next one. God wants us to find deliverance in Him. As we go on down, look what it says. Verse 6. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubled. Notice, in my translation at least, it uses the word cried out. That word cried out literally means to call upon the name of God. That's what it's saying in the Hebrew. It's not just crying out in in a lament. It's literally crying out to God. It's hitting rock bottom and saying, I have nowhere else to go, no one else to look to, god help me have you ever been there god help me that's all you can say maybe you can't even get the words out but that's the cry of your heart god i'm at my breaking point god help me that's where david was in this cave the poor man cried out and again the lord did what he heard him and he did what he saved him out of all his troubles Now, you look at that verse and you think, well, does that mean that David never had any trouble? That from the moment that this answer came, trouble was never an obstacle anymore? Of course not. We know he's going to say it a little bit later on in this same psalm, that troubles are still going to be a reality in his life. So what is he saying there? He's saying that in the midst of the trouble that's all around him, There is something greater inside of him. You're not ever going to be able to stop trouble from coming. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It's hard because this is where we live. And this is where we operate. And this is where we function. And the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight but we still see things and we still feel things and we still hear things and all of that affects us if we're honest it's easy to say well i don't let anything bother me i don't care what people think that sounds good but it's not true is it things bother you people hurt you but there is a he's going to talk about this and we'll look at it in a minute there is a refuge that you can only have in jesus From the storms of life. Some of you may have had an umbrella today with this weather out. The umbrella didn't stop the snow and the rain, did it? But it protects you from it. And that's what it's like when you walk with the Lord. He delivers us. He keeps us. Might be a better way of saying it. In the midst of our troubles. And not only that. God wants us to desire Him. He wants us to delight in Him. He wants us to find deliverance in Him. And the last one in this section. He wants us to depend on Him. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Basically, David is saying, I understand that God fights my battles. He fought the battle for Goliath, didn't he? David threw the stone, but God's the one that brought the victory in that situation. And God always brings the victory. I know many of you love Psalm 91. It's one of my favorite Psalms, too. But look at the first two verses of Psalm 91, if we have that one on the screen back there. It tells us that he who dwells in the shadow of the Most High, abides, I'm sorry, under the shadow of the Most, of the Almighty. We think about that, that peace, that protection that comes by abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. God fights these battles. We can depend on him. We can trust in Him. David is learning that lesson. Even though things are difficult for him, David is learning a valuable lesson. When fear knocks, faith answers. What else did David learn in this situation? Look at verses 8 through 10 with me. Here's another thing he had to learn, and I hope that you'll learn. When our options run out, God's provisions overflow. When our options run out, God's provisions will overflow to us. Here he uses that word in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him or finds refuge in Him. But David says, you have to taste and see that the Lord is good. Faith is necessary, guys, but faith is trusting God explicitly. I listened to a sermon the other day by a preacher by the name of Dale Vance. I followed a little bit of his story. His wife had cancer, I believe stage four cancer. And they said that she was not going to make it. And they prayed, obviously. He prayed. The church prayed. And the cancer, they went and got the test done, and the cancer was gone. Completely gone. And they rejoiced. And they celebrated. Who wouldn't? And about a month later, she began to get sick again. And they went back to the doctor. And the doctor brought them in the the little room, the conference room, the consulting room, and said, I've got bad news for you. It's come back with a vengeance. And he said, well, God did it once. He can do it again. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And the doctors came back and they said, it's, it's getting worse. She's not got much longer. And she passed away. And I was listening to this sermon. I posted a little clip of it yesterday. And he's preaching about anxiety and trusting God in difficult situations. And he said, what I couldn't see in the middle of the circumstance that I see now, is he said, I wanted my wishes more than God's will. Now, I don't think that that's the wrong thing to pray, God, heal my, my sick wife. And I don't think it's wrong to want that to happen. But when we read in the garden that Jesus said, not my will but thine be done, and we understand that that's the same thing that God calls us to, are we really ready to surrender our life to his will in all things? I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not telling you that I can stand here this morning and say I've got all that figured out. But that is what God calls us to do. If we're going to trust him, we've got to trust him in all situations. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Even in the midst of death, he's good. Even in the midst of trials, he's good. I didn't say that death was good, and I didn't say that trials were good. I said God is good. God is good. Verse 9, not only did David learn to find refuge in him, he says that we need to be able to show ref- reverence to him. He says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, there is no want to those who fear him. One of the saddest things I think that we have seen happen in the last few years, maybe more than that, is that there is hardly any fear of God anymore. There's hardly any reverence for God anymore. We have such a flippant attitude towards Him, and I believe that part of that is pride and arrogance. Part of that is the fact that we think we're something more special than we are, or maybe God isn't as special as He ought to be. But we ought to have a a healthy fear of God. fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says. And there's a lot of folks that need wisdom because they have no fear of God. They have no fear of God. David said, we need to learn that there is no want to those who fear him. In verse 10, he he learned that, that if you'll do these things, you'll be rewarded. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord, there's that word again, those that seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. David learned that God is the provider. Jehovah-Jireh, that's who God is. He is our provider. When we have needs, do we seek Him first? Do we go to Him first and trust that we will be rewarded because God is good? David learned that when all his other options ran out, he could trust God to provide. He could trust God to be that refuge for him. He trusted that God would honor the reverence that he had towards him. And then the last section I want us to look at, David kind of shifts gears now, and he almost is preaching a sermon in these last few verses. He's not just talking primarily to himself, but to others that will read these words. He's speaking to us today. And I tried to find a a title that I could put this section into words, and I'm just going to say it this way. Life has many choices. Eternity has two. Life has many choices, but eternity has two. Look at verses 11 through 14. Look at that section together. He's giving them instructions. He's giving them advice to himself. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord, who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Remember, that's what he had just done. In that situation we read in 1 Samuel. He learned a lesson from it. He's repenting from it. He's confessing it. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. He's talking about the need for repentance. He's talking about the need to live holy. To be different from the world. Listen. All of us sin. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Even as believers. We are not free from sin. In our lives. But if we have a healthy fear of God, we ought to view sin as He views it. We ought to not excuse it and say, well, I'm just not perfect, so it's okay. We ought to be warring against it. We ought to be striving for holiness. We ought to be crying out to God to change us and make us more like Jesus. Not just say, well, I'm good enough. I've made some progress. I'm just going to settle in and be content with where I'm at. David said, I've got things in my life that I need to confess. I know that I'm called to be different and I want to live different. And He is challenging us to live a holy life. That's not easy, especially in this world today. There's a million things pulling at us. There's a million things that will take our time and our attention that will tempt us. But when you follow Jesus, remember, like, like Dale Vance said, it's not about our wishes, it's about His will. Jesus said over and over, any man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of me. You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. There's a death that has to happen to self. And as long as you want to live for you, you're not ready to go where Jesus wants you to go. He wants you to follow him completely. People say, well, the gospel is easy. It's easy. All you have to do is believe. There's nothing easy about it. There's nothing easy at all about it. It's a call to deny self. Coming to the Lord is easy. Jesus did everything. I'm not saying you work your way to heaven. You don't. You believe. You trust. Jesus alone. But if you think that following Him is easy, you're going to be in for a rocky, rough road ahead. It's anything but easy. But it's sure worth it. It's sure worth it. And David said, we are supposed to be separate. I have to live different from the world. I can't be just like it. And then in verses 15 through 20, he says, I know that I need to be different, but I can't do this in my own strength. I need help. You have to recognize you need help before you ask for it. Did you know that? A lot of people know they need help, but they just won't ask for it. But until you ask the Lord Jesus to help you, You're going to continue to try to do it in your own strength, just like David did. And you're going to continue to fail and fall miserably. You have got to come to a place where you say, I have got to be different. I want to be different, but I can't be different by myself. Lord, I need you. Listen to what he says, verses 15 to 20. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He sees you this morning. You say, I feel so alone. You may feel that way, but you're not. His eyes are on you. He says his ears are open. They're open. They're waiting. His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. His eyes are on the righteous, but he turns away from the evil or the wicked. What does he say? What else does he say? Verse 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near. I love verse 18 and 19. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Because you have a broken heart. And you feel so alone and so forsaken. And God says that the Lord is, I am near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. But this isn't just somebody that's sad about things in life. This is someone who is broken hearted because they have grieved God. They have sinned against God. It's one thing to have a broken heart because your boyfriend just broke up with you, your girlfriend broke up with you. Or, you know, you're late on the bills or whatever. And God cares about those things too. But this verse is not saying that. This verse is someone who feels their need for God. Who sees that their sins have separated them from God. Have grieved the Spirit. Have taken away the joy and the assurance and the fellowship that they once had. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them. He's near to those that have a broken heart and saves such that have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. I just happened to see somebody posted on Facebook. I think it was, I think it might have been Leah posted uh, a post. And this guy happened to quote verse 18 out of the message. That's kind of what got me on this whole message Bible kick this week, looking at it. But I love how it says verse 18. This was so good. Verse 18 of uh, Psalm 34 out of the message. It says, if your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, He'll help you catch your breath. Man, that's a good illustration, isn't it? Because sometimes life just punches us right in the gut. And sometimes the things we do cause it to do so. You know? But the thing is, over and over, God says He hears, He delivers, He saves. And we have got to understand that that is the God this morning that is calling you into His presence. He's not standing there ready to beat you up, ready to cast you aside, rather say, well, I'm done with you. He loves you, and He will forgive you, and He will save you. But look at the last two verses, and we're done. It says evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous shall be what those who hate the righteous shall be condemned verse 22 the Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who trust in him shall be what see that word is used in each of those verses but it's used differently in those two verses, and that's really the question this morning. The Bible says in Romans eight one, there is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ Jesus have no condemnation. That word condemnation means judgment. There is no judgment for salvation for those that are saved. The judgment fell upon Jesus in your place. God judged His own Son. In your place. He took the wrath. And the punishment that you and I deserved, And by faith we receive that gift. But the Bible says also. He that believes. Is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. If you haven't believed this morning. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ. The Bible says you are condemned. Already. Like a lot of people think, well, when I stand before God one day, they're going to get the scales out and see if I make it or not. That's not what the Bible says. Without Jesus, you are condemned already. This life is just the holding cell. And when you take your last breath, the door will open, and you will march headlong into eternity apart from God. That's the reality of it. You don't have to wait to find out, based on the Word of God, without Jesus Christ, you're lost. Eternally. And God in His mercy has given you a breath. You say, I don't know if I have anything to be thankful for. Thank God that He hasn't sent you to hell this morning. That He's given you a chance to come here today and hear the gospel. So that you don't have to die lost. That you don't have to die separated from Him. But He won't force you to do that. You can walk right out of here just as lost as you came in. And you're playing a deadly game with your soul. Because you're one breath away from eternity. Saved, lost, heaven, hell, light, darkness. There's only two choices, guys. Life has many. Eternity has two. If you're not ready to stand before God with full assurance that you are His and He is yours, during this invitation, I pray that you will come. Cry out to Him for mercy and forgiveness and salvation. And if you are just all kinds of messed up this morning, maybe you're saved and you're like, I'm just not living for Him. Why not? What are you waiting for? Do you think this is going to get... If you're a Christian, do you think this is going to get better without Him? What do you think is going to happen? He's waiting for you. When are you going to come? Why won't you come? I hope you'll think about that. Phyllis, you come. We're going to do this invitation. And I hope if He's speaking to you today that you'll answer. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this word of encouragement. Lord, that in our deepest, darkest hurts, you're with us, and we can find praise, we can find refuge, we can find deliverance, and we, for most of all, find salvation. God, today I pray as you speak to the hearts of those in this room, that they would hear your voice and that they would answer today for whatever the need is. And God, I pray that you would be glorified by it. In Jesus' name we ask all things. Amen. As we stand and as we sing, you come, don't wait. No more excuses, no more games.